Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Lay Bear podcast, an audio experience designed to decode leadership and inspire action. Being a forward-thinking leader and game changer, you've tuned in to discover pragmatic tips and hints on leadership from the very best leaders. Each episode is dedicated to sharing pragmatic stories from the field and more importantly, real examples of what successful leaders are actually doing to deliver at pace. With so much to share, let's hand over to your host, Graham Wilson. Really delighted to welcome today's guest onto the show. It's someone who I got to know as what I call a real leader. From a humble and, as she would say, hostile background, it's someone who stared diversity full on and bounced back with positivity, determination and a wonderful smile. She's been on an amazing leadership journey in many different countries and experienced many different cultures. She's learned a great deal about leadership from an experiential point of view and backed up with learning from academia. It's someone who has a real passion for life and making a positive difference to children's lives and someone who can really share what real leadership is all about. So it's a warm welcome to Dr. Victoria Carr. Hello, Vic. It's uh, great to have you on the show today. I know you've got lots of experiences you can share with us from your background. So those of you who don't know you, tell us a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your background, Vic. Well, thank you for having me on. It's a real pleasure. My background, I suppose, you couldn't call it linear. I haven't sort of decided to become a head teacher when I was at NQT and, and kind of right. gone gone through the world like that so I've kind of done a, a lot of teaching jobs around the world um started my teaching career 20 odd years ago in Newcastle upon Tyne in a middle school and I taught PE uh, to key stage three uh, students and core subjects to year five I loved the diversity of that it was brilliant and uh, it certainly gave me a good uh, grounding into um that transition from primary to secondary school and then I moved to Kenya and I ran a small prep school uh, in the foothills of Mount Kenya wow. uh, for expatriate children and we had uh, children from eight years eight, eight months old sorry so it was a nursery all the way up to nine years old before they went off to boarding school so that was completely different context mm. completely different uh, experiences which was great fun though and that was my first kind of toe dipping exercise into leadership um, we had lots of staff there and in fact some staff um, we had tested positively for AIDS so managing that whole wow. HIV AIDS debate uh, in Kenya alongside the um, the diversity really in the curriculum mm. from early years right the way through um, to lower key stage two that was interesting for, for a recently qualified teacher then I came back and I worked in Northumberland again in a middle school and um, became an English lead and in fact then became what what was then called an advanced skills teacher in English. Mm. Okay. Worked across Northumberland um, County in key stage three and two as well. Very interesting. Mm. Uh, Liaising with high schools and things. Um, And then I moved to Germany and had my two children and taught in um, a forces school again Mm. Actually, middle school again. I taught in a forces school and I also taught soldiers and their dependents in the Army Education Centre. And that was my first experience of teaching adults, which was really very exciting and very Mm. rewarding. Probably one of the most recording periods of my life. Um, So that was great. And alongside that, I did my first master's degree. And then I moved back to England and I became a deputy head. 
and did some more leadership qualifications. Um, I moved into a, a church school, actually, and it was a primary school, a church school. Um, and I'd never worked in a faith school before. So I decided right. I to learn a little bit more about what this meant and what mm. doing a faith school meant. So I did a master's level leadership qualification in, in um, leading in a faith school, which was, again, very illuminating. And um, I did MPQH, did yeah. a second, second master's degree, um, and then got my first headship. So then wow. I was a teacher in a very diverse school, uh, a challenging school in, in Cheshire, where the majority of the pupils, well, the vast majority, were um, from the Gypsy Romney Traveller community, oh, wow. which was completely different to the previous school I'd worked in, which was in a very affluent area. We had the children of um, footballers, mm in our school and then I moved to a school where it's a completely different context that was interesting for a few years and mm. um, actually I have done a doctorate and I've lectured all through that time on the master's in leadership program at Chester University and Hope University and uh yes yeah, so I've been I mean I'm now in my second headship wow. I'm, I'm in the largest school in Ellesmere Fort okay schools in Cheshire and it's been through a turbulent time and I'm just in the process of working with my team to uh, to bring it back to life. Wow, that sounds great. What was your doctorate in? What was your research? My research was in how politics affects um, everything in life, but obviously it affects schools and leadership. Uh, okay. So, wow. and how the the climate's just changed over time in the last forty years. Well, that must be fascinating to get into that. Where would you start on that? It's a massive topic, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Some people call it fascinating. Some people call it really boring. I found it interesting, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but it was mainly around coaching as well, actually, and about how um, head teachers new to headship need a uh, need a team of people around them, and mm, mm. coaching and working in collaboration with others is really essential to your mental health and your growing repertoire of leadership skills and knowledge and it just creates like a database of people you can turn to who've got um, skills or experience in, in areas that you may not have so it was it was about politics and its impact but the reason why you needed the collaboration is because of politics and its impact yep. it makes sense so so yeah. yeah it was good it was useful it's, I always remember reading a dissertation around Northern Ireland, you know, obviously my military days, around yeah you know, the discourse analysis and and how you know it was fundamentally until they started collaborating, they're not going to get it sorted out. You've got to have that collaboration to to get that agreement to move forward. And uh, as long as yeah you know, the the values are near enough, then you'll start to get a, a bit of movement. So yeah, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Obviously, with the political agenda as well wrapped around that makes it interesting. So interesting journey then from Newcastle to Kenya. Where was it? Northumberland, Germany. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of cultural <laughs> difference there in terms yeah. of that. Uh, and that's just the UK, <laughs> but schools, Kenya schools, and Germany as well. But, as well. You know, lots of different types of schools, you know. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, lots of different types. Yeah. How did you find that transition from you know, being an outstanding teacher and, and all that experience of being a teacher to then you're being a deputy head it sounds like you you got support in terms of uh the the leadership courses you went on and obviously you're going to a phase school but how, how did you define that transition into a into a i guess a, a designated leadership role i suppose not being called a deputy head well I, I i wouldn't say it was easy um i wouldn't say it was easy at all really i suppose throughout my career i would say we chatted a little bit before the recording started about perhaps you know, recent um, 
kind of increased awareness about gender issues and so on. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, being female, um, it, it can be quite challenging in your early days of your career to kind of make a mark in a way that isn't seen to be kind of trying to um, undermine anyone else or... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know whether that's the same for, for men as well as women. I can only really speak for, for myself, but mm. certainly in my early career, I, I found a lot of people resisted. Um, and I think it was the, the kind of rhetoric was around, um, you're too young to know, what would you know about this? Um, all youngsters come in thinking that they can change the world. And I, I, I kind of, nowadays in my headship role, I try and change that, I completely switch that around. And mm. I actually, encourage youngsters to come in and the student teachers and, and the you know the newly qualified recently qualified teachers to come in and make those active suggestions about what they can do what they think could happen what you know how it, how we could redo things how things could be done differently because I don't see it as being threatening I, I'm not threatened by younger people or people with mm. ideas I actually welcome that and embrace that so in mm. my career I found it really difficult mm. um, to overcome some of those entrenched um, behaviours mm. alongside, alongside how they treated um, teachers I'd say the staff members who treated me that way also had this idea about children that um, children who didn't conform were just simply naughty mm. um, and mm. that wasn't really what I thought I you know mm. I could see that children had difficulties and whether that was in communicating wh- wh- why they were miserable or upset or you know specific learning issues I just didn't have the same view that children were just inherently naughty if they weren't conforming I'm smiling to myself there because I, I must have been a, a terrible parent in terms of um, you know when you have the the parents evening because it's one of the things I used to challenge the teachers around when you know my my daughter's done really well at school and, and done really well in in their careers and I used to go to the the parents teacher sort of uh, evenings and and you know in most classes it was all fantastic but one class that she's seen as a, a naughty girl and chatterbox things like that and my question always was to the teacher well what are you actually doing to inspire her you know because she's okay in the other classes but why is it in this class and and it was classic you know put in a box and uh, well I moved her from uh, her friend and and she still chatted and I think well clearly she's not been inspired so I'm, I'm with you on that I can I can relate to that because there's something around that isn't about that that whole process and I guess you know from um, yeah, leadership role in a school, which I, I've not actually done a leadership role. I've worked with quite a few leaders from schools, but I've not actually done that role myself. But it must be quite challenging because you've got this this need or this desire to do the best you can for your children. You know, that's a massive you know, reason why you do a job, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the difficulty of, of the challenge of parents. And then you've got the governors and you've got your employers. And it's quite an interesting stakeholder mix, isn't it, really, to to keep satisfied and the point you there you made there about that difficult transition do you think people have um, a stereotypical view of what a leader should be I think they probably do but I think mm. if you were to ask a hundred people what their view was they'd all give you a hundred different mm. um, versions of what it is I think it's certainly somebody who most people would like to be approachable but decisive perhaps I think if you were to ask parents of my school, particularly what what kind of leader they would want, it would definitely be those two things, perhaps because that's what lacked in the years before mm. I was there. I don't know if that's what they would always want. And, and I think for leaders in general, it's kind of reading the landscape and working out what is needed at that time, which is why building a repertoire is really important and not mm. kind of remaining static yourself. I mean, there are times when I have to be decisive, 
but the majority of my time I spend working with a team of people mm. coming up with ideas and working through each one why it would work why it wouldn't and, we, and then choosing the best one really in under time constraints and with mm. the resources that we've got and I you know I, I often I, I will say actively to my team I'm happy to be I'm challenged on this this is just my shot across the boundary mm. Um, this is just my first thought. And they will now do that. They, they, you know, there's no kind of hesitation in, in challenging mm. what about this and have you thought about that? And largely I haven't, which is why I have mm. a diverse team. I'm pretty good at coming up with ideas. Um, but I don't know them in, in a school the size mm. of mine, I don't know the minutiae of would impact on every child in the SEN um, register. So that's why I have my SENCO in those meetings. I don't know how it would impact necessarily on the the, the pennies um which is why i have my admin ladies in there talking to me about budgets and you know mm. impact on the teaching staff the teaching assistants and so on so i have everyone in there who's got a specific remit <clears throat> and a specific um you know skill set that ch will challenge me to make sure we don't make a mistake and we don't forget anything yeah so. yeah how, how do you how do you see your role as a leader and as, as a head now as head teacher of a a school and what how would you describe that role then what would you what do you what words would you use for that how would i describe my role i think my role is to have a pretty good overview of of everything that's going on in our school mm -hmm. and to take responsibility um for setting plates off spinning mm -hmm. so i'll set a plate off spinning and then I'll ask someone who I think is capable to continue that plate spinning to do it and then I'll keep checking in with them and if they're not happy or if they struggle or if I notice that there's a bit of wobbly wobbling going on I'll, mm. I'll up on that and I'll tackle it but in terms of me as a leader I think I would say I facilitate I generate ideas and enthusiasm and I maintain that constant reminder about what our school vision is and I also deal with all the tricky things. I really do think that my role has evolved into being somebody who just generates ideas, um, sets the vision with everybody else and reminds people of that vision so that mm -hmm. um, if they kind of veer away from it, they just get a reminder from time to time. And I do deal with all of the difficult things. So I will encourage all of the staff to take responsibility for things that are going to be fun and that will go well and they enjoy all of the fruits of their labors and then if anything goes wrong that's something that I take on um, mm. to support them with really. There's a phrase in there that says that you know as a leader you have to um, give away the the reward and the celebration the success and then take the bullet. That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Which is tough isn't it so so how do you yeah, I mean that that can be very challenging and but obviously very rewarding as well. But how do you how do you keep yourself energized and inspired? And being a, a head teacher, you are on show, aren't you? A lot, aren't you? You are the the figurehead of the school, and the parents are watching you, and the children, you know, you're role modeling a lot, aren't you? As well, how do you how do you keep your energy going? Well, firstly, I always try and work with integrity. Um, you're right that everybody is watching you all the time, and I I know that if I was to slip up or make a mistake and not behave like that that you know that would be a cause for concern for me and for the people because at, at no time would I want anybody to ever say well the head teacher did it so it must be okay so having to maintain those high standards all the time is generally not a problem but obviously there are times when you're under a lot of pressure and somebody will say something to you and you might you know react um in a way that you know you, you're not necessarily proud of but that's about being human mm. and the 
thing I'll do in that case is just apologize. Yeah. So nine times out of ten, I'm behaving with integrity. The tenth time, you know, I'm under a lot of pressure. Um, yeah. Somebody will say something and I don't I don't behave as I would like to, and yeah. I will apologize openly. But the rest mm. of the time, it's about maintaining your energy so that you can do that nine times out of ten. Mm, definitely. I do I exercise a lot um I love running I, you know I love working out I like I like being physically strong and, and physically fit I think the running and the swimming help me because they're almost like yoga but in a in a very very physical way mm. you're out of breath and so on yeah I do yoga as well but but I think the breathing of running swimming and, and yoga are really important and that being in the moment and kind of mindfulness is really helpful so I exercise I read in my spare time I, what I don't do is watch much tv I right. get time for tv that's a very um, good thing at the moment isn't it I would say <laughs> yeah I haven't watched a single briefing um about covid or anything I just think what I need to know I can find out um and I don't find them very helpful or very constructive so I just choose not to so I don't watch much telly I read and then I do study studying and then I really enjoy things like the lecturing the part-time lecturing at the university and working with like-minded mm. professionals who want to develop knowledge and understanding and having those kind of professional conversations with them and working on that so so yeah that's kind of what I do really I've got two children obviously who keep me in the moment yeah keep you fit and, and healthy and, and in check yeah. <laughs> no doubt and I've obviously recently um in, in the last sort of 12 18 months joined the British Army Reserves as well offer me another um layer to kind of my own mental health mm. but um, i've just signed up for another master's starting in october wow wow it's been crazy continuous education what what are, what are you actually doing in the reserves then what's your role there uh, well i'll be in military intelligence i am wow. intelligence yeah i just thought it'd be a good use of a skill set that i'd already developed over time uh, yeah. an analytical yeah. kind of mindset probably yeah be really beneficial and i've passed all the um assessments for it so presumably they think the same thing so yeah and they're, <laughs> they're tough by the way though so well done for that fantastic that's Sorry, great <laughs> <laughs> so, so clearly someone who likes uh, variety by the sounds of it and uh likes to, to have that mental stimulation but also the physical balance of that as well and that's what keeps your you know your vitality going which is great so you mentioned there about the university and, and obviously you've done lots of studying. How do you how do you make that transition of you know, academic research and theory into into sort of day to day practice? Because one of the things I always talk about leadership is that it's all very well knowing this stuff. It's about how do you turn it into habits and routines and ways of working and how do you how do you do that transition? How do you get an idea or whatever that from university or a bit of research thing? Oh, that's interesting. How do you then turn that into a way of working? Well, in honesty, I'm probably back to front with this, um, <laughs> which perhaps yeah, okay. doesn't help me very much. Most of my leadership work is is kind of evolved intuitively. Mm. So becoming a deputy head, yeah, I did a lot of the learning on the job, and then kind of did more leadership um, research based projects. Mm. At which point, I started to think, oh. Um, you know, people do that. That is an actual thing, which is when I realized that to do one and not the other perhaps wouldn't be very conducive to being successful for me. Mm. So that's when I started to um, not just do my day job and um, come up with ideas about how it could work in our setting, but also do wider reading around various different things. And that's what's fed really into all of my research work and all of my um, assignment work and my published stuff. Has all been about what we do 
mm. and then the research that underpins why what we do works but mm. most of what we do has, has purely been intuitive and I think one of the things that I now know about me from several people sort of evaluating me as a leader that I perhaps didn't know before is that I'm actually I've got a quite a, a good um, healthy sense of emotional intelligence and, mm. and emotional literacy around people in my school and I don't know why that's there could be a range of reasons um I know that I have it and I know it really benefits me so again most of what I do most of you know talent spotting in in my team or you know looking for different people's skill sets and and drawing Mm. out all of those things are intuitive um but there is research that underpins that the decision making is right so I probably am back to front um but I guess some of the things that I've learned, you know, obviously I look at the um, Education Endowment Fund um, research and things like that, yeah. but I critically examine that. I never just take off the PEG research and think, oh, that's that works, let's just do it. I always think, does that, is that, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm always critical about, about mm. everything and I always look at context as well because what might work, in, and I'm lucky enough that I've worked in a, enough variety of, of contexts mm. to be know this for certain that what might work in one place doesn't necessarily work in another um and what might work what might work at one point in time Mm. may not work the year later or two years later because things evolve and that is one thing for certain um Mm, you know absolutely the landscape in a school is constantly evolving yeah i think what goes wrong particularly if you've got uh, someone who's been successful in one school and then they they move to the next school to perhaps turn it around or whatever, and they apply exactly the same process or approach. And then they wonder why it fails because they haven't taken into account the situation or context they're in. So I think you're absolutely, absolutely right there, isn't it? Is, is the leadership is contextual, is situational, and then it does change. And it's then about really having a, a philosophy of leadership and then, then being able to adapt it and use different tools depending on the situation we're in. 100% agree with you. And that's why I talk about a repertoire of leadership skills and knowledge, really. Mm. Um, because knowing which kind of which one to choose at any given time needs to become intuitive. You can't be standing thinking, oh, I've got this situation. What am I going to do? And, and hesitant. You need to think, you know, this is this is what I need to do here. And I need to step back here and step in. And I think that's that is the skill and the nuance of leadership that's taken a little a little while to kind of to accept mm. it and acknowledge it but uh, you know but that's that's what i'd say i guess it's when you when you start to look at leadership and you realize actually it's more of an art form than a science that's when <laughs> yes. it starts to come together and that that whole mix in it of logic and intuition and you know you can do all these different tools for decision making but at the end of the day is what's your what's your heart and your gut saying is just as important as what your brain's saying isn't it when when you're actually making decisions so I think that that's as you start to develop as a leader, you start to realise that. But uh, yeah, the more you know, the the less you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, or the more the more you know that there are things that you don't know as yeah. well. I mean, I I'm lucky. I don't have a huge ego, so if it's a question of you know redoing something or stop calling time and thinking right, this has not gone to plan. Let's rethink. I'll I'll just do exactly that and say. Mm-hmm hasn't gone to plan you know we need a rethink on this and again I think modeling those capabilities not just to the staff members that you work alongside but also to the children and the parents that you work with it shows them shows everyone that you are simply a human being Mm -hmm. this idea of the the hero leader and this godlike character who will come in and be all things to all people I think is historic and I think Mm -hmm. it's taken by an acknowledgement that you know, we work in a very complex world these days, a very fast moving, very complex world. 
and we're all interlinked in some way and it's absolutely impossible to be all things to all people all the time and keep everyone happy and never more was that um kind of obvious than this whole covid um mm, mm. Situation. i think that's just brought it all to the fore really i can raise that because I, I know a lot of my corporate clients have been telling me things like well we realize now that our talent planning process is flawed uh, and what they mean by that is they have all these people on the fast track who when the COVID crisis happened, you know, some stepped up, but a lot of them didn't. And, you know, the people who stepped up who perhaps weren't on the talent uh, process were, were, you know, really surprising. And, you know, so clearly they're looking for the wrong people. Uh, and when you're looking for leaders, true leaders, they are the people who will step up, step up when required. So you're right there in terms of, you know, the way we operate. Sometimes we need to challenge that, don't we? And, and perhaps look at things in a different way. Yeah, I think so. I think being able to think, um you know think outside of what the problem is and in fact you know a, a prime example is if i get an email a complaint to me about something in my school i, I i'm often people are often shocked at the content of a complaint um mm. i never am i kind of put all the emotion to one side and somewhere in that email or that letter um which can appear at first reading to be a kind of disjointed rant somewhere in there will be the purpose of what that person mm say and if you can find that little kernel of, of the problem if you can find the problem generally without emotion you can address that problem because you know I think sometimes people just their emotions are run high and it's knowing not to have you know not to let your ego get in the way and not an emotional response it's about my job as a leader is to try to sort out problems and sometimes that's a bit tricky um, and sometimes that involves reading something that isn't pleasant and finding what the problem is and finding a way to sort it. I'm surprised at how I just manage that, but I think it's because I just take all the emotion out of it. I don't see the point of investing negative emotion into something that just doesn't require it. Often that can just inflame a problem rather than resolve it. Key skill, that, isn't it? Obviously, that's where your high emotional intelligence is coming through. Is how do I how do I respond to that situation and that whole point of choice concept that you know I can I can choose how I respond. As you say there, removing the emotion is is key. Because we've all probably been there, haven't we, where send that email or we've said something or the words are coming out of your mouth and you're thinking, I shouldn't be saying this because you're operating from an emotional point of view yeah. rather than a, a clear, clear mind. Or they call it as more red thinking or blue thinking, don't they? So you're operating from red, red hat rather than, than blue hat sort of thing. And I think those, those those key things, aren't they, are important as a leader, aren't they? Because I find it's quite fascinating from a leadership point of view. Is it takes a long time to or can take a long time to build trust, but it can take one email or one sentence or one word that can destroy it very quickly mm -hmm. so you have to be very skillful don't you in, in your position particularly when when you're in a highly visible position like being a you know, head teacher of a school you've got to be really really clever aren't you really clear and and, and skillful around what you say and what you do yes 100 percent. which goes back to what i said earlier about how um nine times out of ten I behave completely with integrity and I'm very mm. calm, but in times of great pressure, and in fact, the other week, um, we had a vandalism incident at school. It's a couple of weeks before um, school closed for the summer. So we'd been open the entire time. We'd opened in the holidays. I had had the virus at the very start of lockdown. I was terribly ill for a number of weeks. Mm. So I'd come back to work. I was, you know, I hadn't fully recovered and it's lingered on a little bit. So I was tired, I was under a lot of pressure. We were getting guidance documents coming out by the day. We tried to organize transition for next year, um, effective kind of closure for this 
that the previous year mm. um doing reports and getting those all sent out to, to nearly 600 children wow. um, we're trying to recruit so we had three teachers to recruit for um so we had an awful lot going on and um we had this vandalism incident early one morning. I cycled to school. It was about seven o'clock in the morning. And I couldn't believe it. You know, mm. our parents' association had raised money for books for our children to read at break time, what have you. And some people had gotten into school and torn the doors off and the books everywhere. And it drained the no night. Way. And I was really cross. So mm. in a moment, a fit of pique, I <laughs> tweeted a mistake. I tweeted that whoever these individuals were, um, we had CCTV and we'd reported it to the police and in fact our neighbours had also said they'd had some vandalism and damage and that some of them had, had CCTV as well and I said that these people who'd done this were a disgrace to their community and to their families and although I felt it at, the mo at that moment and perhaps I don't know on reflection would I still think it I don't know but and that's the tweet I sent out and overwhelmingly I mean overwhelmingly there are, I don't know in excess of 500 responses to this um also across that someone or some people mm. some youths had uh, done this vandalism one person said I'm shocked at such an unprofessional tweet from a head teacher really yeah and one person said um surely somebody like you should be more trauma informed and the children or the, the young people who've done this um need understanding not vilifying and then someone wow. else said, um how basically that was, what's the word called? Um, getting a, a you know, mob mentality to, to try and deal with this situation. Oh, okay. and it, it was genuinely none of those things. Yeah. It was just a moment of anger where I was aggrieved on behalf of my staff who'd given up the time to do all of this, the parents who'd mm. done it and raised money, you know, in a time like this where, you know, money's to come by, they'd raised money to get the books. And that someone had just chosen to, to damage them. So it was, I didn't think it was unprofessional at the time. In yeah. retrospect, perhaps I shouldn't have had a rant, yeah. but um, it wasn't a, a, a gang mob mentality. And it, yeah. it certainly yeah. didn't feel like I wasn't trauma informed. It just felt like I was annoyed that someone had damaged my school property. Yeah. A, lot, but, a lot of judgment going on there, wasn't it? Probably a lot of projection as well, I think, onto, onto your comment there. But it is so true how people will take what you, you say and, and you know, put their all their unconscious bias on it bias on it and then not really understand the intent and understand where you're coming from and lack empathy don't they and um and support really for a horrible situation yeah understand where, where you're coming from i made a public apology for offending anyone i left the tweet on there i thought there's no point deleting right. it because it's now a matter of public record but i just i made an apology so you know even someone who years into um leadership doesn't always act like, like I've said before, doesn't always act in a way that in retrospect they'd be proud of. Yeah. Um, I maybe should have waited and been less cross. Still still contacted the police and still yeah. did that, but maybe not not uh, publicised my, uh, my annoyance <laughs> what has happened. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure everyone, even, probably even the people who, who responded to you in that in that way have, have probably done something like that themselves as well. And we've all done that. We've done a bit of a rant or whatever. It, again, <laughs> it's a skill, isn't it, to, to not do it. But I think, I guess quite interesting concept there isn't it, about leadership is that the old world of you know the leadership is this you know perfect person this godlike character who is never done anything wrong and is all perfect and has all the answers when actually we're all human beings aren't we and we're all vulnerable we all make, make mistakes and, and we're we want to be real mm -hmm. we want to get that you know that authenticity across don't we about who we really are mm -hmm. i guess it's trying to get that balance between all of those elements isn't it really and, and being 
a, a real what I call a real leader because you know why wouldn't why wouldn't someone get upset about that? I know. I mean, I guess it's um, I guess it's like everything. It, it's balance, isn't it? I mean, I I do try and be real with everybody. Um, I find it it takes a lot less energy to just be yourself with everyone. So yeah. whether it's my children at home, or whether it's my senior leadership team in school, or a parent, everybody gets the same version of me. Mm. Um, I always try my hardest. I'm very passionate about what I do. Um, I've overcome many, many uh, issues on a personal level, also in a supportive capacity for my family over the years. You know, I've lived through my sister having um, leukemia and, and being a bone marrow donor, wow. I've lived through um, donating um, eggs to my sister to, to help her fertility, as has my mm. other sister. You know, we've had bereavements. You know, I was, my dad died when I was eight. Wow. So I've been, I've been, you know, mm. one four from a single parent family, mm. Liverpool in the 80s. So I think, um, you know, I've been obviously been divorced. Um, mm. I myself had a double mastectomy about four years ago. So I think that it, there isn't much really um, about, you know, I'm a parent, a single parent myself. I've got teenagers. I mean, mm. teenagers themselves, you know, are challenging, even if you've got a very stable uh, mm. home. I mean, I do have a stable home. But obviously divorce isn't ideal mm. um so yeah there's there isn't much really um that i couldn't have a, a sensitive opinion on either i've supported someone through it or i've perhaps been through it myself or mm. so i'm fairly pragmatic about about my life journey i just think you can either say this awful stuff has happened there's no point i may as well give up or you can say well it's just part of life's rich tapestry and i've got a lot of life left to live and um and move forward with that and you know when people come to me and, and their issue is that their child is i don't know five years old and going into a mixed class and how it is going to damage their mental health i just wonder about mm. the sense behind that and the thinking yeah. behind it because actually there's you know there's, there's a lot worse things that could damage a child than going into a mixed age classroom but yeah so that's the pragmatism side you can kind of try and explain to people that you know you're yeah. there to support them throughout whatever they're going through and um you've how, got how how do you do that Vic so obviously you've gone through a lot in your life and yeah, you know, what strikes me when I first met you is that you're very positive you're very bubbly you you, you know, inspirational in what you do and your behaviour. So how, how do you bounce back? I, I guess that's the word at the moment, isn't it? Bounce back. Everyone's talking about bouncing back from the, the crisis. But what, what do you personally, what have you learned from from your your experiences there? You, know, you mentioned a few ideas there, but what what enables you to be resilient? Uh, I think the ability to see beyond the now Mm. Um, to think that tomorrow is always another day and that, you know, often we are the architects of our own um, future happiness and that I can make choices today that will have an impact on me tomorrow. You know, a, a lot of people, my sisters included, my, I've got a brother and two sisters, they all think I'm nuts for, for just not chilling out. You know, they say to me, Vic, you're nearly 46, what's going on? When are you going to slow down? And I think, well, maybe I will, but maybe that will just happen in time. You know, mm. maybe things will just happen and, and I'll think, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do this. Or mm. I just think you should seize opportunities as they come your way, because often in life, 
we are presented with with possibility and a lot of people don't take those opportunities because they're afraid and I think as a small child when my dad did die I realized that life was very you know your link to life is so tenuous and then some years later when my sister had cancer in, in her teens and I realized that with you know, even if you were healthy and lived a perfectly good life or a lovely good person, your life could be cut short. It's what made me start to think, you know, too much time is perhaps spent wallowing in self-pity. Don't have. So what I always try and think of is what I do have. And I am actually a really lucky and very blessed person for all I've just told you a few tales of woe. Um, I I come across the most amazing people in my life. Honestly, I meet the most incredible people just randomly, whether it's walking on the beach or, um, you know, on one of the courses I've done or even through the army. I meet the most amazing people, Mm. just enrich my life. And at any time I could sit and list off what is great about my life and I think that's what helps me with resilience because firstly overcoming adversity just builds a natural level of resilience in you and then how you choose to think I think we're all masters of our own minds and mastering your mind is probably the key yeah key to it already and exercise advocate enough about that (laughs) yeah definitely it does help doesn't it it rebalances all the chemicals in the body so you would you say you're an optimist in terms of your outlook on life <laughs> i would say i would say i'm a realist I a realist say, okay yeah, like <laughs> i'd say there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of opportunity that people yeah. seek and that does literally come our way but you have to be prepared to get up and, and get at them and, and and start looking for that opportunity sometimes and i think the more you do the more opportunity comes your way mm-hmm. and it kind of it grows it takes on a life of its own um and and having some you know that's why I give so much back. Giving back is so important. If you are like me and you are lucky and, you know, your life has given you lots of advantages, I think it's an it's absolutely incumbent upon us to, to give back and to, to seek out people who, with just a tiny push or a tiny bit of help, could really, really make great strides in their lives. And that is honestly my philosophy. And it, you know, People often say, well, what, what's in it for you? And I think, I don't need anything in it for me. I have my lovely life, my lovely kids. You know, I don't need anything. I just want to make sure that where possible, the lives that I touch are left in a better way than before I came came into them. And, and when I'm a very old lady, that's exactly what I'd like to look back on in my oh, life. Wow. That's, your, that's your legacy, yeah, the, the difference you made. I think I think that's right. I always talk about the heart of leadership is about the impact you have, the, that positive impact on 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 people and, and the world and I guess that the whole concept here what is leadership and, and if you think about it from an ethical point of view it is around leadership is really about being of service isn't it I know in the military that's something they yeah. they drum into you early on about you know serving your men and and women and I guess that's you know a key a key element of it isn't it really around you know you you can you, know, you can have a, a great vision and you have lots of courage but unless you're ethical and, and being of service then it's not really going to make any difference because the impact you have is not as good as it could be. 100%. And in fact, that's something that that idea of servant leadership, it, it goes across all kinds of different leadership spheres. Because when I was a deputy head in a church school, that's that's one of the things I wrote about was this, this notion um, of, of servant leadership. I, I am not a person of faith, I have to say. But mm. um, when I was there, I wanted to make sure that I upheld every tenet of that, of that yeah. school, because I think that working together on a vision is important for the success of the school but mm. I, what i did like 
um, was the philosophy of it. Um, mm. This idea that Jesus served his disciples and washed their feet and fed them, to me, um, kind of embodies what leadership is about, even though mm. I'm not a person of faith. I yeah. still love that. And, and so when I'm making cups of tea for my office staff or when I'm, you know, I, I wrote in the last two weeks of term, I wrote a personal letter to every single member of my staff. There were nearly 90. And I wrote the envelopes and I posted the, the letters myself. Mm. And Fantastic. I wanted it to happen so that it would be in the holidays. Yeah, yeah. I timed it. So um, a couple arrived just before the holidays began. So people were coming in saying, oh, my life, you've written this letter to me. And it, they were weeping and they were emailing mm. saying how amazing it was. And I didn't do it to be, you know, mm. make, to make out that I was wonderful. I just wanted every single person to know, even if I hadn't seen much of them for three or four months, that they were a valued member of my team and I serving my team and serving my staff in the first instance is what will help my school be successful because if I'm looking after my staff and they are then looking after the children and mm. that is the way it should work. I think you're absolutely right there, Vic. I think I, I always like to think about five things I try and try and do amongst many other things about yeah, is there, is there absolute focus and clarity about what we're here to do in terms of the vision, the values and the goals, all that sort of stuff, that, that sort of big sort of strategy stuff. And then are people learning? So am I helping them to be the best they can be? And am I awakening possibility and building their confidence? And do I give them the opportunity to put their skills to use? And then the, the bit that I was trying to link there to what you were saying there about, do they feel valued? And I think it's not it's not about the size of the reward, is it? It's about about the fact that people do feel that actually yeah, you've written a hand, handwritten note there. And I know quite a few leaders I work with will still write birthday cards for the staff and you know, their business is now global and there's thousands of people in there, but they'll still do it because it's important to them to you know, recognize that you know, they really value what people do day in, day out for the business. And the same with your staff, isn't it? That's 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 the key thing. And then the final thing then really is about support and, and do they feel supported? And I guess all these little behavioral things we can do can can make a real big difference, can't they, to the output we get? I think so. And people just feeling valued, I mm. think. Um, yeah. The thank yous and the, and the well dones and the you know the the recognition for a, for a great job and in fact if it doesn't work then you know as you say take the bullets yourself um, you know show you know, your part in that and and then learn from it and grow and and improve and do it better next time. Yeah, and I'm always looking for ways to um, I'm always looking for ways to do that. And whenever I come across something, I think, oh, I'll store that. I'll I'll do that another day. And and if I get the time, I do it. And, and then at some point, it will be implemented. And then I, I wait to see, has it been successful? And if it has, then it's something I might use again. I mean, I'm unlikely to do that again in the same way, because then people, it just becomes expected. It doesn't, it loses its impact yeah, on, on yeah. everyone, I think. So Absolutely. there'll be something else that will crop up um, that will, you know, can kind of celebrate people's work in my school. So... So, and essentially, yeah. it's about this, these little learning nuggets can make a huge difference. Because I think one of the things that I can think about in my career that was a big learning for me was around someone challenged me about it. there was a mistake that got made and something went wrong when a project wasn't delivered. And uh, the person who was, I think, a mentor, my mentor or my boss, I can't remember, said, he said to me, he said, Graham, what's your part in that? Uh, and I went into, yeah, well, it was them and uh, I was trying to blame other people for the failure. And I'm thinking, actually, you know, I need to take ownership of this. And I do that all the time now when when things go wrong uh, the first thing i say to myself is okay so what was my part in that yeah, yeah. Did, I, did i did i not brief them properly did i not support them did i you know select the wrong people and, and it's that that just that little check 
that really helps because then I can then move into a more logical sort of, okay, let's start reviewing this, understand what really happened. Mm-hmm. So it often is these little things you can learn that can, can make a big difference. What, what advice would you give to someone, if, if we take your context of you know, moving into, say, a headship of a school, what, what advice would you give them from a leadership point of view? Gosh, what advice would I give? I would say build a network mm. of head teachers around you who you can call on and um, ask for advice because you don't always get that straight away. Even if your local authority like ours is really proactive, yeah. you don't always get that straight away at that level. So if you have a network of colleagues around you who you can call up and, and ask, that's really beneficial. Um I'd say try not to take things personally, but I think that's a skill that comes in time. I think in your early days you will, and it becomes p- painful when you take it personally and you need to take a step back and, like you've said, acknowledge the fact that you might have had a part in in, yeah. in something that's happened and try not to let it happen again, but also acknowledge the fact that it's not personal. Most times mm. things go wrong, it's because of a lot of factors, not just yeah. um, Do everything ethically and with integrity and um, keep records of everything so that you can refer back to a day when you've done something. I make lists, very handy a list, I think. Okay. Um, it gives you something, a feeling of success, even if you've just ticked off two or three things off a list and it keeps you focused. Yeah. It's that dopamine, is it? That dopamine rush when you tick something off. <laughs> yeah. Completeness there. Whoa. On, on really bleak days, I've even been known, and this is this is probably hilarious. I've been known to write something down I've already done just to be able to put a tick next to it. <laughs> it's kind of, I kind of con my own brain that I've been successful in the day. <laughs> so you're the lady I met in the supermarket one. So I was walking along and this lady had um she's doing the shopping and she had a, a handwritten list of all the food with a little box of handwritten boxes and as she's going through there she was ticking them off and I thought well, that's a great idea I must I must use that because I didn't have a list at all and I was just filling the trolley full of food uh, and what was really interesting I, I sort of observed it and noticed that she's written a list in in aisle order which I thought was very clever so yeah the aisle of the how it's all set out in the store which, which I fantastic. also do you do that, yeah. But the funniest bit was that we got to a point, yeah, you sort of, I kept bumping into her around, around this. I think I'd done about 50 miles trying to go back to forward and she'd done about <laughs> half a mile or whatever. And, um, and, and she saw something on the shelf, which was, which was the funny bit. She saw something on the shelf and then she looked at the list, looked at the shelf again and then wrote what it was on the list and put a box next to it. Then took the tin of whatever it was off the shelf, put it in a trolley, and then ticked off the list. <laughs> I thought that was quite <laughs> funny and quite hilarious. But it sounds like something that you do. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm saying nothing. I'm not going to incriminate myself. <laughs> we, have, we have met before somewhere there. But actually, I think on the hindsight, I went away. I think, why would you do that? I thought, well, of course, now she's got a record of all the food she's got. Mm-hmm. So next time she can go, she can improve a list. So there is method in the madness, I reckon, definitely. Yeah, I think efficiency is really important as well. And, um, not leaving things to the last minute, actually building in time and building in your own deadlines in a diary. And I keep a diary meticulously for that reason. Okay. So ahead of any kind of deadline, I've already written in a pre-deadline for myself and mm. blocked off time. And I don't feel guilty about blocking off time in my diary. If I know I've got something coming up, if I've got to write the CEF, for example, or the yeah. teacher's report, I'll block off a day and make sure that no appointments get put in that day to give me the time to do that properly. Um, mm. And I don't feel guilty about doing that. At yeah, all. absolutely. In the early days, I perhaps did. But mm. you know what else I would say? Get a coach. Yeah. Get a coach in your early 
years of headship, a coach is invaluable. Coach or mentor, a bit of both, or I think maybe a bit of both. I think yeah. mentoring can come from you know an old hand like me yeah. but I think yeah. coaching is something that that needs a bit of skill a bit of yeah. finesse um you know and is really beneficial if, if you do it one of my indicators of a good leader is someone who actually makes time for people mm-hmm. doesn't fit it in you know and, and I see a lot of people don't they oh I've got a bit of spare time I'll go and see someone whereas what you're saying there is you you diarize it and, and yeah. make it happen yeah definitely yeah. Yeah. And that that's particularly important, I think, for things like performance management or any kind of, you know, if you're new to a school, what I've done in my last two schools is meet with every single person as the head. Mm-hmm. I've chosen to meet with every single person. And that takes weeks in my current school. It took yeah. me term because there were so many staff I met with dinner. Yeah. Went, the letters I wrote went to cleaners and middays as well. Fantastic. That is exactly what I did on my my very first term. I met with every single person. I talked about their families, um, you know, what their dreams were, you know, their backgrounds, where they'd come from, what they wanted to do, mm. um, what career aspirations they had. And it was just a chat, just a chat. But I made notes and I said to them, I'm making these notes because if I come across anything that can help, you know, you or help you in your career or whatever, then I'll, I'll make sure... Mm. I'm gonna find you, and that's exactly what I've done with a handful of them. But I made notes on every single person in that school, and I talked to every single one, FaceTime with them, and that was diagnosed. Fantastic, that's great. I remember a while ago working with a head teacher from a primary school, and uh, well, not not too far from you, and and I said to them, they they'd got outstanding and and done really well, and doing some coaching with them, and I said to them, what well, yeah, what's the secret for your success, and and. He said, what do you mean? Well, if, I, if, if you can boil it down to one thing, why, why is your school so successful? And what he said was really, really, you know, really shocked me, really. He said, well, he said, the secret to success is that every morning I go out and I stand by the school gate, I meet the parents, discuss things with the parents, and I actually welcome the children to school. He said, that's the secret of success. And I said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, I'm trying to create the culture of, you know, we're one big family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh, yeah, the catalyst of that. So what, what would you say your secret of your success is? I do do that, but I mainly scare everybody off with my morning face, my wrinkly morning face. <laughs> um, what he's talking about there is being present and, and being visible. And I think that is important. And there are lots of ways you can do that. I think being present and visible and being authentic are huge. Mm. And doing that in as many ways as you can. Because not all of our parents drop off. Where in the school I'm at, they don't all drop mm. off. We've got a big, yeah. big breakfast club. So I do a weekly blog um, that gets sent out, and I'll do little videos and things like that. So being visible mm. and letting them know that you're there, and being accessible if they want to see you, building the and explaining to them that it's a big school, but that you do want to see them, and that you build it in and it's diarised, and then nothing affects that, and not, you know, not double booking or letting them down um, mm, fantastic that sounds great i think i think that visible leadership is key isn't it i think definitely particularly in, in your your context i wish i wish i had a better soundbite i don't have one <laughs> <laughs> if you, if you uh, yeah you can't be a head teacher of a school can you and locked in your office and sat behind your computer all day that's just not going to work although you've got to do lots of stuff behind the computer and lots of reports so that you still need to get out there don't you make yourself visible and uh I think that's really important. You're visible for the children, visible for the the parents, and and uh, you're visible for your staff as well. That's uh, and give them your time, and that's where that servant leadership comes in again, isn't it? Yeah, that I mean, being, I think uh, there are times uh, when it's easier to do that. Don't get me yeah. wrong. 
but then yeah. everybody knows those pinch points and um that's why i've got such a i'm really lucky i've got such a cracking team we all kind of share our responsibilities to make sure nobody has too much on their plate yeah um, definitely thank goodness <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. There's some fantastic insights there, Vic, in terms of, you know, your leadership journey. And how would you like people to describe you as a leader? Compassionate. Yeah, compassionate. It's interesting. You, you actually do come across as very compassionate and insightful as well. So I think, yeah, definitely. Oh, that, thank that, you. That's made that my day. <laughs> it does. It, it comes across in terms of you know, your desire to be of service and support the children and make a difference and, and do good stuff, really, I think, and, and making that positive impact on, on the world, really. So that's definitely... Definitely what comes across for me in terms of our conversation so far, which is fantastic. On the little bit of the world I'm lucky enough to touch, I'd like that to be the case. Yeah, it must be great. My mum was a teacher or life. She retired for probably must be 20 years ago now. And, and she still meets children who, you know, she taught and they'll meet her in wherever it is and talk to her about the impact that they've had, you know, that they've had on their life and things like that. And I think that's incredible, isn't it? That it's such a rewarding thing you you're with people at such an important stage of their life and you can make such a profound difference to what happens next for them well I think when it happens you realize two things um the first one is that you're old because um <laughs> the people who are saying that to you have usually reached an age where they can reach out and tell you that you've had an impact on their life so you kind of go oh <laughs> how did you get this old and then what you realise is that, that you've had an impact on other people. And I don't know what happens to you, but it is mind blowing. It, it literally blows your mind that pe people have reached out to you and said, I remember this and you said that because you think, wow, things that I've said that I thought were just me being mm. me or mm. um, you know, throwaway comments have had a profound impact. And I realised this more than ever uh, twice in the last few years. So I told you I had a big operation a few years ago. Mm. And I was a bit fed up and it was winter and I was incapacitated for a little while. And I'm not used to that at all. And, uh, I, you know, a lot of people, when they heard that I'd had this surgery, mm. reached out to me through various means, social media, or they came and tracked me down at my house. And one of those people was a teaching assistant from the from the church school who said, um, you don't remember this, but the first day I met you, you just arrived for um, a transition um, meeting. And you're in the staff room and I was making a cup of tea and I came in and I said to someone, oh, I've just passed my level one um, teaching assistant qualification. And you simply said, oh, you're not going to stop there, are you? Mm. And, and we had a conversation about, well, what else could I do? And you said, we well, could go on and do a level two. And you knew you really enjoy it. You could do HLTA and there's nothing stopping you. And you could do this and this. And she said, do you remember that? And honestly, I had no recollection. That lady now is a highly skilled HLTA and works um, as a liaison person with a specialist dyslexia school. Wow. Wow. So she came and sought me out and said that. I, I couldn't believe it, honestly. Couldn't believe yeah. it. And then the second time it happened, loads of other things happened at that time, which I won't bore you with. But the second time it happened, I did a TED talk at the start of this year, TEDx talk. Oh, well done. Thank you. And I talked about um, <clears throat> the power of language and what had happened to me as a small child. And my, my reception teacher said to my mum, this child is university material. And no one in my entire family had ever been to university before. And from that point on, my nan, and we, I was born and raised in Toxteth in Liverpool. My nan and my, uh, used to tell everyone, oh, Victoria's um, university material. And she used to say to me, you're university. And I had no idea what this meant, by the way. You mm. can imagine, absolutely clueless. 
but over time that kind of rhetoric kind of just was embedded in my brain and here I am I've never really been out of university since I was 18 but yeah what I, when I did that TED talk <clears throat> I did it and I, I kind of it was the most uh, excruciatingly um kind of embarrassing thing I'd ever done I stood up I nearly choked on my words because I was embarrassed to say that my dad had mental health issues he was a schizophrenic he killed mm -hmm. himself and nobody had ever heard any of that before because it's not mm -hmm. something to talk about and you know living with violent domestic violence was quite the challenge as a child and so on and so on and so on anyway um one a young girl that I taught in Northumberland 20 years ago a lovely lovely girl got in touch with me and said that a bunch of the children that I taught in year six at that time who then taught in year seven then taught in year eight had all seen my TED talk I have no idea how but they had all seen it and um, she wanted to write and tell me that she had no idea um, that any of that had happened to me because as a teacher all she remembers was me being an advocate for all of those children in, in the class and telling them all the wonderful things they could do and mm. encouraging them in the opportunities they could have in life and being a positive female role model. She wrote me this on Facebook, a Facebook message, and I hardly ever on Facebook, so it kind of took me a few weeks to even find it because I wasn't connected with mm. her. But the long and the short of it is that she took the time to track me down and to tell me this and that, she, you know, she said, even now, 20 years on, the things that I said to them in the English lessons we used to teach um, still stick with her and that she she finds herself using that same language with other people. And that mm. my mind as well. So I think those two events in my life kind of created a situation where people that perhaps might not have reached out to me were able to mm. or felt there was a, a, a purpose to doing so. And um, Fantastic. Yeah, it was really profound. <laughs> it's great. I, I was just, as you were, you were talking now, I was reflecting on, think about leadership. And I think sometimes we underestimate, don't we, the the power and the impact we can have from a, a leadership situation. Yeah, we're, we're just us. We're just human beings. Yeah, we are who we are. But we we forget that we can have a profound impact on people. And I was thinking there, as you were talking there around, that you know, the only thing really as leaders we're in charge of or, or control of, I guess, are our behaviors and it's our behaviors isn't it that's, that's what people experience so you've got to really choose wisely haven't you the words you say the things you say because obviously they were very positive words you said but it'd be very easy wouldn't it to actually have actually created the opposite of that that person who just come in from a teaching assistant you could have put her down couldn't you um and that could have destroyed her career and she'd never be what she would be in that that one little moment can have such an impact so i think that's um we have a an obligation don't we as leaders the, to actually be really thoughtful about the words we say and the impact we have on people absolutely i think language is um is enormous and it can be positive or negative and i'm conscious really everything i say to people um is constructive or, or positive because i know that even small comments that we make can really be taken to heart mm -hmm. um, i've learned how not to take negative comments mm -hmm. obviously mm -hmm. um, but nevertheless there are times when you, they do kind of hurt yeah but, I think in the main, I'm, as I say, I'm really lucky. I surround myself with positive people and mm. lucky to meet people who challenge me in all the best ways and to be the best version of myself. And all I can ever do is try and recreate that and give that back to others. Well, that's clearly working because you are extremely positive despite all the challenges and things <laughs> you've been through. So that's great. What's what's next for you, Vic, then? What's, what's on your agenda now? Start a new master's in October in 
military history, but it'll have a leadership slant. So the sorts of things that make leadership across any different discipline and how that has had an impact on events in military history, I think. But it's only at the early stages. So that's that's what I'm thinking. But it's quite exciting, particularly in view of my journey um, sort of with the reserves as well. Because the aim, hopefully, if if I'm fit enough to pass the um, the officer selection, is being a junior officer in in the reserve. So that whole leadership understanding, again, I'm doing my usual thing where I'm doing the real life stuff, the on the job stuff, and then also the academic stuff alongside yeah. it. Try and challenge my thinking and make sure I'm the best version I can be. So yeah, so that starts in October. Alongside that, um, obviously, I've got the training for the reserves, which will keep my brain ticking over, mm. and then back to school There's yeah a back to school agenda in september which september, um, yeah. meticulously before we left so yeah. hopefully that's all that's all we'll starts again in september yeah exciting times yeah <laughs> <laughs> well it's been an absolute pleasure i really really enjoyed i could talk for hours and, and i've absolutely no idea how long we've been talking so it's been fascinating <laughs> listening to your your golden nuggets and insights and uh I don't know yeah, about <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure people will listen and you know get a really sort of good value from that and some of the ideas and thoughts so thank you I'll put it it's okay to put your link in the, the notes so people can you know, yes, connect absolutely. With you on, absolutely. Yeah, um, LinkedIn and Twitter and all that sort of stuff that'd be great yes. and and uh, a big thank you me it's been a been a pleasure thank you very much nice to chat to you thanks Vic a big thank you for listening to the Leadership Late Bear podcast with me Graham Wilson For more information on our guest leader and to find out how we can support you, check out the links in the description and look out for our next Leadership Podcast. Remember, Leadership is all about taking action. Make sure you connect and apply the lessons learned. Have fun and bye for now.